0: This is Agency Side, telling the stories of starting, growing and selling digital agencies. Sponsored by netruller.com, the CRM system for SEOs and digital marketers. Now, here's your host, Rob Carey. I'm joined today by Becky Sims, the founder and CEO of Reflect Digital. Welcome to the show, Becky. Hi Rob. Hi. Now, you founded Reflect Digital in 2011. What services did you initially offer and what were your hopes and aspirations for the company?
1: So we, we've we always been quite full service. So, um, so in 2011, yeah, we were offering websites and then SEO was probably the main kind of marketing service because um, I was surrounded by freelancers at the time and mainly people that I'd met along the way that had worked within companies. So um so it was kind of going in trying to sell a website and then selling the dream that we could help market it as well was the aim. And and then the plan was to just start to build an agency. Having come from working in a, a couple of different agencies, I wanted to just create somewhere that people loved coming to work and loved what they do. I think um I'd had a bit of an up and down experience of the agencies that I'd been in. So it was down to me to kind of create something that I thought was going to be a great place for people to work and and a place to do great work for our clients.
0: And how did you find those first few clients that you got? And did you secure them before leaving your full-time job?
1: No. So that was maybe not the wisest, but no, (laughs) I, um, (laughs) yeah, I quit my job. So my dad, my dad had always run his own business and he'd always believed in me. And he kind of, like, I was getting fed up in in the role I was in. And he was like, just go and give it a go. Like, I'll back you. He originally said, I'll give you £3,000 to cover a month or two see what you can do and, and let's give it a go. So I did. I quit my job. Once I'd handed my notice in, I started kind of creating a website and had uh, a friend of mine that became our designer and is still our lead designer now, Wayne, um, had him create a logo, etc. And then it was a case of, right, now we're going to need to find some work. So, um, so yeah, I, I used my dad's network a little bit initially, actually. So um, where he'd been in business for many years, any contacts that he had, um, it was kind of a Hi, can I knock on your door and uh, and not go in with my dad, but just kind of with the knowledge that he had of the business, um, and yeah, to try and try and find some opportunities. And actually, that landed us into into the legal market that for many years was one of our kind of specialist areas so um yeah it was it was difficult though because you you rock up for a pitch and having previously been pitching and had a slide deck with a ton of kind of case studies etc you could show you're kind of sitting there feeling very vulnerable as the fact that you haven't got any previous experience as reflect digital I kind of could draw on well I've done this before and this before but you're you're trusting me on my own to create something. So um yeah, I still well, our first ever client is still a client today, which is a massive testament to uh to our well, the way we try and treat our clients and build relationships, but also to them in in trusting me on that, that first pitch that I did.
0: Yeah, it's very impressive to still have uh that client today. Uh, You mentioned uh, that you working a lot with uh, legal clients, but I think you also worked in the automotive industry before that. Did that also become sort of a specialty niche for Reflect Digital or did you stay away from that former industry?
1: I stayed away from it. So, yeah, one of my previous agencies, that was their kind of 90 percent of their business was automotive. And I personally just I wanted to make it on my own as Reflect Digital, winning our own clients and didn't want any. Any of the nastiness that can come with trying to headhunt old clients that, uh, that maybe uh, there were restrictive covenants and whatnot in place. And even once they'd gone, it just felt like, actually, I want to do something that's that's my direction now, as opposed to trying to kind of use what I'd had before. So. Um, so, yeah. So just started afresh completely and uh, avoided automotive, really.
0: And Reflect Now employees over 30 people, how quickly did the agency grow and were there any big catalysts in the first five years such as a big client win or publicity event?
1: So. The first five years kind of we we grew quickly, then it would slow a little bit and then we'd grow a bit more and then it would slow a bit. It was kind of that kind of stop start of, I guess, as you as you're finding your feet, as you kind of employ more people and then it's, oh, hold on a minute. We need to make sure we can deliver this work now. And then and then you start to get busier again and then it pushes again. So probably our biggest um, client winning in. And it probably was just probably year four of the business. We started doing some work for Tottenham Football Club, uh, which either goes well, down well or badly, depending on who you support. But for us, it was was a brilliant win because it was this household brand. We were doing a huge amount of design work for them. We were designing their, it was actually, it was weird. It wasn't so much digital. We were designing all their renewal campaigns for their members uh, across all the different levels of membership from the kind of, toddler baby type membership that the parents buy uh, for their youngsters all the way up to the kind of platinum level season ticket holders Um, and yeah it was a brilliant brilliant win and we we did that for I think three years in a row before they took it in-house but every year we had to re-pitch and every year we won it and it really pushed us creatively to to do more and it was just I think once you've got that one household name that you can take into a pitch it's easier to win the next one Uh, because they can see that someone they've heard of has trusted you to to do some good work for them.
0: And further away from uh, the central London area of Tottenham, you're actually based in the leafy suburbs of Kent, which is kind of on the greater London uh, borders. And you've also got offices in central London and South Africa as well. How did the Soho and the Cape Town offices come about? And are they purely housing business development or do you do consulting from there as well?
1: So Soho and Cape Town are actually part of uh, Lab as our wider group that we are we are now part of, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about at some point, um, and their bases that we can use. So actually Soho who knows the quite the vision where we're going to end up out of the pandemic but I think it's really going to become a meeting space more than anything um, to use for clients I think there'll be hot desks there for people to work in London when they want to but as as I'm sure you know the world is changing of uh, being tied to a desk all day and then Cape Town houses quite a lot of um, one of the agencies River within the group but we've got it as an option there to hire staff into so at the moment um, we don't have anyone working for Reflect out of Cape Town but it's an opportunity uh, should we wish to take it up as we as we expand further
0: and as you mentioned before reflect digital is a full service digital agency and you offer seo PPC, content marketing social media e-commerce web design web development and branding uh, which of those services uh, bringing the most revenue for you and do you feel that being a full service agency is a strong advantage versus being sort of a specialist within a single marketing channel
1: so that is a long list as you read it out, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we So most of our work sits in the search space. So we're about, I'd say about 70% of revenue is in SEO and PPC and and the content marketing side that goes with that. So we kind of lump that into SEO as well. Um, and then the design and development side, we, we do probably i don't want to put a number to it because i'm gonna be wrong and someone will tell me off but we do a number of websites each year and we'll do some bigger projects but actually also a lot of what the design and dev team are doing is supporting uh, the seo and ppc team so with the ability to build kind of campaign landing pages or to create games for example that we can use for outreach or create um anything kind of technical and then also helping us kind of build our own software to help power the work that we're doing within seo and ppc so um the website that you'll have seen for us at the moment is very soon to be uh refreshed with a, a new look and showing a bit more focus into that seo ppc world um as and that kind of since day one we quite quickly ended up more in the search space but um but yeah i think for us having having all the services in-house is really powerful and really help support the work that we do. But I do think um, it is important to kind of fly your flag on where you really are specialists to help clients understand, which is uh, which is where our, uh, our refresh and new look will be coming very early uh, 2021.
0: And in 2018, your agency became ISO 27001 certified and this is a internationally recognized accreditation for information security management. I believe some of the large brands require agencies to hold this certification these days. But I remember when my previous agency got certified, it took a tremendous amount of work and money. So looking back, do you think that ISO 27001 certification has paid for itself by winning you more business or retaining existing clients? And would you recommend it to other agencies?
1: I definitely would recommend it. So it was... um... Yeah, it's a difficult process to go through, and it takes it does take time, and and you need someone dedicated to it. Really, uh, we work with a management consultants as well to SB that were amazing in supporting us, and they still support us now to make sure that we we keep the accreditation. But I think for us, it helped. Um, it helped us just formalize the way that we were working a bit more, and to get some kind of system management in place. So. There's definitely been clients whereby it's been a tick in a box, um, especially with the clients where you have to go and kind of sign up on their procurement portal. And I think that was probably the catalyst for us doing it, in that we were starting to get some opportunities. And you'd get through either a link to a portal, or you'd get this questionnaire through, and you'd be like, "Oh, don't have an answer to that one." "Oh, I haven't got that." "Oh, can we just say yes?" "No, no, we can't say yes. We don't have that." And you just think, "Oh no, I, we literally we're winging it here, and we don't know what to do." So we were like, "Well, let's." let's go and do it properly. It was around the time of GDPR as well. So it kind of played in nicely with making sure that we were handling data and client data uh, securely as well. So we were like, we were a bit all or nothing at Reflex. So it was kind of like, let's just go for it and go and do it properly rather than uh, continue to, to wing it as uh, as you have to as you're a growing business. I mean, there comes a time where these types of things are so useful and um, like you wouldn't necessarily put it in place in day one when you're starting out but at this point it was uh, it was the right time for us and and it has been useful I, I can't pin down that that there's a specific client that we've won because of it but it's definitely helped and it's helped our processes and it's just made us feel a bit more secure in what we're doing and actually as we were going through joining the lab group and the kind of the acquisition side of it it made that a lot easier because we'd also where we'd formalized a lot of things over the last kind of couple of years getting ready for iso 27001 and we'd managed to kind of get ourselves and our processes in the right order it made us a more interesting business i think as opposed to lab looking and thinking oh Looks good on the outside, but there's lots of work to do on the inside. We'd kind of already done that ourselves and got ourselves in a in a really good shape. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's uh, but not to take it on lightly, like being prepared that it is going to be a lot of work and that you're willing to put someone in charge of it that wants to do it as well. Because it's probably not the most fun job either. So it's making sure you've got a team member that's kind of up for the challenge and willing to willing to take it on.
0: And another part of the procurement process um, is often listing the awards that uh, your agency has won. And uh, you've won a number of awards from the Drum, Wirehive, the UK Search Awards. And what's your opinion on the value of these industry awards today? And do you think still potential clients really value them in the pitch process?
1: Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? I never know for sure how much they do really like for us I always think it's a good thing because you can always put that slide in that shows that you're trusted by the industry as it were you're recognized uh, by the industry so I think it's good and we always put our effort into going for awards Uh, we've probably gone for less this year just with everything. everything that's been going on but it's um Yeah, I don't know how much like I don't think it's the deal breaker for clients. But then we have, I definitely have had opportunities that have come off the back of um, award wins. So I can think of a couple of clients in in my head that we've won, whereby they actually said, "Oh, do you know what?" I went out and checked who won the at the search awards in the particular category that suited them. I think this was like e commerce or or whatever, and that was the reason they reached out to us and a couple of other agencies. So. so I do think like there is value in it and I we won't stop doing them. I think it's I think it's just making sure you go for the valuable awards, the ones that are really recognised. I think there's um, there's so many little local awards that pop up now and we've done a few of those, but it's trying to make sure that actually you feel like they're really recognised and supported by a business community that you want to be a part of and you're willing to willing to kind of put your your name to.
0: Yeah, I guess it only takes one client to convert off the back of one of these awards for it to be worthwhile, really.
1: Definitely, I'd agree.
0: As uh, Reflect Digital reaches the ten-year mark, what has changed in the industry that's made the biggest difference in what you do or how you do it? And are the clients asking for very different services now compared to when you first began, or different ways of working?
1: Yeah, I'd say I'd say our relationships are so much more collaborative with our clients now. So I think. Um, and i don't know how much of that is that we're working with bigger customers now than we were in the in the early years or if it's a complete change in how people are working but it's um there's so much more collaboration but i suppose in those bigger clients you've got the you've got the marketing team there normally to collaborate with so that's where maybe in the smaller businesses you don't see that so much but i just think um i mean actually this last what nine months has been uh, the biggest change of the last ten years? I think in, and, and I think that's the one that maybe isn't gonna, isn't gonna change going forward too much in that we've kind of we've all got used to working remotely and actually I'd say we talk to our clients more than we ever have done before and we see their faces more than we ever have done before because we're we're on video calls and we're um we're chatting to them that way I feel like there's less email and it's more just a case of can we pop a 10 minute call in this afternoon and we chat about that whereas previously it was kind of it was all on email the odd phone calls but actually it was then a lot of face-to-face meetings and a lot of traveling around and uh, running around London, and I do think that's that's going to have changed now. And the face to face meeting is going to be uh, something that's a bit more, I don't know, quarterly updates or bigger meetings that need to be face to face. And otherwise, I think the the virtual world is really suiting that client agency relationship. But yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I think the industry, in many ways, the services are what they've always been i think it's uh, they've obviously all developed in their own way and technology's moved on and and that's allowed us probably helped with collaboration as well things like we've got slack groups with some of our clients and ways of kind of collaborating and like google docs i mean i wouldn't be without it now and that is for most of our clients that get the odd client that can't um, can't use it for internal system u- reasons or whatever sometimes in the bigger clients, but most clients use google docs and again for collaboration and sharing information it's just so so easy and yeah i think i think technology has just helped us kind of work better and smarter over the years
0: yeah i think most of the agency founders that i've spoken to so far have actually seen COVID 19 as a a positive thing for the industry because of the way that it's made uh, meetings more efficient and also sort of freeing up some cash as well because obviously Offices don't need to be as big as they used to be. So next time they go to renew that office space, they don't need to think about growing by another 50 percent that year. They can actually downsize it and just use that space for when people want to work in the office or have meetings in the office as well. But I kind of wonder whether it's going to be a sort of a honeymoon period where after a while everyone's desperate to have these face to face meetings like sort of every single week and, you know, sort of just go back and forth between the two.
1: Yeah, I think it's so hard to know, isn't it? And I think part of that will come down to what does, and I hate the phrase, the new normal, but what will that look like? And how many companies will continue I think because in the agency world we're all quite relaxed and I can see many agencies being comfortable with people remote working long term but those bigger corporate businesses that maybe have got long long leases on huge office buildings are they going to continue to feel comfortable with that or are they going to be pushing people to come back to the office and I think that will be part of the the draw for face to face meetings is if they're having to be in their workplace then they're probably going to want you because actually we were chatting about this the other day if in a world we're doing face-to-face meeting sorry video meetings I probably actually don't want to be in the office because if you're just sitting at your desk with headphones on all day trying to kind of share the internet with everyone else in the office and everyone's on video calls it's probably not going to be that that good as a a working situation compared to where at home you know you've got the quiet and you can get on and do your video calls so I think all of it's going to it's all going to depend on each other, but it'll be really interesting to see how it how it plays out.
0: Now, you've spoken at a number of industry conferences as well, such as Brighton SEO, SMX London, HeroConf, and of course, those are now moving into becoming webinars because of the current uh, pandemic. Is public speaking an essential part of growing an agency, do you think? And do you advise fellow marketers and founders who are petrified of public speaking to just go for it? And also, with these webinars, do you think they bring as much value and potential client leads as the big in-person conferences used to?
1: So, I definitely think uh, the thought leadership side of public speaking is really important as an agency. We've definitely won work and clients off the back of it, and and I personally, I love it. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's one of those things. So, I wouldn't push. I never push anyone into doing it because if you depends if you've got a want to do it but you're just a bit nervous then I think like it's a case of go for it and maybe you can get a speaking coach or someone to really help you I think over the years um, I have perfected doing it by by really working at it and actually thinking about it and not just kind of being a million miles an hour rocking up at an event whacking the slides up and going for it not really having rehearsed whereas I will do a lot of kind of practicing and making sure that it's bang on and I'll always write my own talks so that I definitely know them uh, inside out and back to front because I think if you don't really know it or you don't really want to do it and you're really really nervous it's quite awkward for the audience and you can feel it and you can see it so I think it's, um, it's a case of if you're not up for it find someone in your agency that is up for it that really wants to do it because I think having a love for it makes it a much more enjoyable experience for the audience and will make it a more memorable talk every time you give it and um, obviously doing it as a webinar in some ways in some ways it's so much easier because you're just at home and and you haven't got the worry of all the eyes staring at you and you're on stage etc and a lot of them are pre-record so I think most of the ones that I've done this year have been pre-records, which, which again is just a bit weird because you've kind of recorded it and then a few days, well, a few weeks later, it's played out and you're like, oh, I can't even quite remember exactly what I said, um, especially if you then go and do a live Q and A afterwards. Um, but yeah, so I think. That side of it, if you're a bit nervous, is actually quite good because you can pre-record it as many times. You could block out a whole day and keep re-recording until you're happy. But in some ways that also then makes you strive for a level of perfection which you wouldn't really get on the stage because you will make a mistake and you might mess up your words a little bit and need to get back on track. Um so I think it's just a case of if you really want to do it and you've got to want to do it, then I think there's ways and means to get over the nerves and to and to really perfect it as a craft. But if it literally fills you with dredge and you think, I just never want to do it, then, then don't panic. It's just a case of, as you grow your agency, finding some good people in the team that are going to be good at it and enjoy doing it. Um, we're just working on trying to get more people in our team out uh, on the speaking circuit. Although, as you say, it's just a bit weird being all webinars now. Um, I'd say the quality of people at the webinars... I think it's not so much the quality of who turns up to the webinars, but I think it's that distraction. When you're physically at an event that you've paid to go to, or even if it was a free event, you've paid just to get there, you've got the train there, you've made all the effort, you're out of offices on, you're kind of, you're focused on getting what you want to from the event and and listening. I just think when you're watching a webinar at home, and there's been so many of them, you've got your emails up at the same time, you've got distractions going on. And we just we haven't seen the same level of inquiries off the back of of doing webinars this year as we would have done if they were face to face events. So um, I think it's uh, it's also then just making the most of it. If you're recording the content, are there ways that you can slice it and use it in other ways? Can you use it on social media? Can you, can you really make the most out of the effort you're putting in? Because it's not to say don't do webinars I definitely would but I just think it's a slightly different quality so it's trying to maximize the opportunity as much as you can.
0: Yeah I definitely agree with you there I've actually paid for a few webinars myself and I've had them on in the background uh, on one side of my screen and on the other side of the screen just working away as normal and I'd only really pause if they were talking about something I was specifically interested in so as far as the speaker's concerned there's a couple of hundred people maybe listening to their presentation but in actual fact, like how many of those people are really like sort of listening and in, into every word that's being said?
1: I was going to say, I just think people are a bit more flaky at turning up as well, because it's that, um, like I, I did one recently, and I think there was about three, four hundred people signed up and... We got very low numbers turn up and you just think, wow, the drop off rate, which you just wouldn't see that in, in a physical event. Obviously, there's always some drop off and things happen and people can't make it or travel disruptions. But um I think because there's you're not physically there, it's so easy to either just not log on and not be there. And, and no one's you feel like you've not offended anyone. But actually, um, you have when lots of people don't turn up it's a shame so uh, yeah and no, I, I feel for the events industry I think um I think so many events that have done so well to pivot and to create new versions and create different online experiences I was part of the um uh women in technology um worldwide event that happened last week uh which was a huge global event and, and actually the platform they'd created was brilliant there was like a live chat room for every single different talk that was going on that you could go and chat to people and actually the engagement was quite good And um, I had quite a few people follow up even just to say "Oh, I really enjoyed your talk which kind of felt a bit more like normal you'd get that kind of feedback and and you could ask questions and stuff so um so yeah i do think there's been some there have been some really good events where people have really invested in the technology and uh, and have really pivoted and tried to make it feel um or at least have the same kind of touch points as you would in a physical event
0: I guess there's the social aspect as well, where after most conferences, there's a networking party afterwards, and they can be extremely valuable. I can definitely attribute a lot of the connections I have in my career to those post conference networking events where I get to meet with, you know, sort of Google engineers and top people in the industry, and you don't really have access to those people um, otherwise. Uh, I'm just wondering like sort of how they're going to recreate that kind of environment when it's all online. It's kind of hard to do that in a virtual environment, I think.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think this one I was on last week, actually, they got closest to it with the kind of live chat rooms and, and they were really signposting people after the talk to go into the chat rooms, et cetera. But it isn't the same. It's um, yeah, it's not the same as being able to stop and have a drink together and kind of look someone in the eyes and really, really get to get to know them and ask some questions and take their business card away i mean a business card feels like it's uh, an unnecessary thing these days doesn't it
0: yeah very much so i was also when doing my research noticed that you've appeared on national news networks such as sky news and bbc radio Did you achieve this by personally reaching out to the journalists or by using your company's own PR team? Or maybe did you hire a specialist PR agency to do that? And were you able to attribute any new client wins directly to that coverage as well?
1: So this was all achieved through um, the fantastic Jo in our team. She's our PR and media manager, and she's an ex-journalist. So um, she knows what she's doing and she sits kind of within our SEO team and helps on the link building side but she also looks after our own company PR so she's fabulous for for finding us some brilliant opportunities and probably um, a big chunk of those came around when we introduced a four-day working week so back in I'm gonna say it must have been 2018 now yeah 2018 we introduced the four-day working week and We managed to get onto Sky News and and a tonne of different things. We were on the one show talking about it as well. And and that I can attribute client wins to, um, interestingly. We actually, through all the coverage, um, I think we had a couple of businesses, but there's one definitely in mind that reached out to us saying, I love your ethos around the four-day week. I've seen it all over the media. Um, We'd love to work with you. And off the back of that, we then did a pitch and and we won them as a client and they're still a client now so um so PR does work and it does uh, that kind of noise in the industry does make a difference so um yeah it's good fun as well Albeit a little bit daunting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you think uh, all that exposure was because Joe was a former journalist and therefore had that network connection of all these other journalists who took this story seriously because it's someone they know? Or do you think it just happened to be a story that the news networks were interested at the time, kind of like sort of the thing to talk about?
1: I think it's a mixture of both so some of it um was down to Joe's contacts and and contacts she's nurtured since being out of being a journalist she's obviously in her role with us constantly nurturing contacts and and creating new ones but I think it was also packaged up brilliantly again by Joe really as a story to to make it interesting because I mean for uh, at the time we were probably only 25 person agency to get onto sky news in the breakfast show talking about um an initiative in our business, albeit a four day week was was quite amazing but but it was an interesting topic and and it still is i think around uh well i think it it changes a bit at the moment for what the new future of work looks like but not many people were doing it and it was around the time actually the government had started kind of talking about, and, and we've got more coverage over the last two years where every now and then the government pop up and say they're talking about four-day week initiatives etc or um, big businesses come out talking about it so it's definitely been a, a good one for us to talk about and share our story and our experience. Yeah, so I think it's a mixture. It's always with PR, it's a mixture of contacts and and having the right story because you could have the best contact in the world, but if your story isn't good enough, you won't get the coverage. Um, But vice versa, you could have an amazing story, but if you haven't got the ability to get it in front of the right person, you're going to struggle as well.
0: And as you touched on before, in 2019, your agency was acquired by Lab Group. Could you talk to us how the acquisition offer came about and why you decided to sell and whether it's a pure share swap or cash-based earnout deal?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So um so we met Johnny Too's founder of Lab probably back in twenty seventeen, maybe only twenty twenty eighteen actually, um, and went to one of Lab's events and just got chatting to him and he was like, We should catch up sometime and you know what it's like. It, People always say that, and it doesn't always turn into something. But but on both sides, we followed up and and we met up for uh, for a couple of coffees and. He was um he was giving us just some advice in from his many years of running lab and and he not execs for a number of agencies so he was super helpful we kind of we were in one of those speed bump moments of uh, our growth where we've been going really really fast and uh, and accelerating up and then actually a bit of a speed bump of oh we lost a few deals that we were hoping to win and it was all a bit stressful so he was brilliant there just offering some guidance and, um, and yeah, helping us reset our mindset. And out the back of that he ended up talking about the fact that he was planning to to build a group, the lab group, and have this group founded on human behaviour and psychology. And Paul and I, so Paul's my husband and business partner, we were like, Oh, that sounds interesting and didn't really let on too much that we were interested you know it's that kind of it's almost like when you're first dating someone you're like oh you don't want to give it away too soon um so yeah so kind of came away and we're like oh it sounds interesting and I wonder if he told us because he was interested in us or I don't know um and then eventually yeah after a few more conversations it came out that Johnny was like would you guys be interested and we were like oh maybe it'd be interesting to know what it looks like we'd not at that point we had not considered selling the agency or anything like we were in growth mode. We were dedicated, focused. And and the good news is that that's kind of still where we are because joining the lab group is, is about growth for the future. So lab owner, the majority share of Reflect now, but we own shares in the group as well as still a very substantial amount of Reflect. And, and we're on a growth plan together. So the group's growing. We've acquired another agency this year, Studio Blup joined um, in the summer. So there's now four agencies in the group and the plan is to to continue to grow. So there's not a particular... There's not a particular number or anything we're set on. It's just a a plan to, to grow together. I sit on the group board, which is great, and I think for us the motivation was it feels like a time to be part of something bigger, and to have that kind of um, that network around us, and and to be able to to support um lab the other lab agencies with the services we offer but also to be able to use them for our clients and it's it's become like the best decision we ever made and actually especially coming into to the covid world it really was the best decision we've ever made because i think we would have struggled a lot more this year had we not been part of lab um as being part of lab we've won a number of clients that were their clients already uh that are just the kind of bigger more stable clients when you're in a in a time like this. So um, the likes of um, Opeo, which is, was formerly SagePay, they're one of our clients now. And yeah, I think that's that's definitely helped us and given us the strength um, that we needed.
0: And was the acquisition seen as a positive step for the existing team within your company, especially those who might not have financially benefited from it at all?
1: Yeah, I think it was. So um, we were really open with the team. So the kind of the timeline probably was May 2019, we knew heads of terms were signed and unless something drastically came out in kind of due diligence on either side, we were going to go ahead. So at that point, we were like, right, we'll tell the team. They'll have to obviously uh, promise to keep it secret, um, but let's tell the team and let's start... um, start getting the team to meet some of the team at the lab and find out what was going what it was going to look like what was happening um, we'd already done a couple of joint pitches together so a few of the team had met some of the lab group um, but yeah it was a case of we told the team I think once we told the team within two weeks we had a team building day booked and we had a couple of the directors so um, Johnny and Daryl I think came from lab uh, and joined us for this team building afternoon and dinner which was great so it was kind of we just wanted everyone to feel like it was a really positive thing and that actually it was going to add benefits so we also Daryl then ran I think it was probably about eight training sessions on human behavior and psychology and they started within the month of the team finding out what was happening so the team were then getting upskilled, they were really excited to be learning new stuff. So I think we just made sure that we framed it all in such a positive way that hopefully there wasn't any negativity. And and because Paul and I are still um running the business day to day, as much as we've got the team at lab there to support us when required, other than kind of a monthly board meeting, it's it's business as usual for us within the agency. So I think it was just making sure the team understood that because I think that was the kind of the scary thing they were like oh we're going to start having decisions pushed on us that that we're not all comfortable with but actually um, it really is business as usual and now they're just getting to work on some bigger and better projects more exciting stuff and there's a 100 or so people across the group that, um, that everyone gets to kind of well. In normal times, we were getting to meet up quite regularly and do kind of group activities. But um, we've had a few of those lovely uh, quizzes on on Zoom and whatnot, and uh, trying to keep a bit of uh, the community momentum going. But um, but yeah, no, I think I think the team really. There was probably a few people worried, but we tried to make it as open, and I think because they were involved along the journey of the final part and they knew it was coming as opposed to I think it's maybe a bit more scary when and I understand sometimes you can't bring the team in early but when you hear on the day that the signatures happened it's a bit like oh my word what is this it sounds a bit more shocking.
0: And apart from uh, giving the staff lots of notice and not doing it abruptly, did you learn any lessons from the acquisition process that you could pass on to other founders that are potentially looking to sell that agency or merge or become part of a larger group?
1: Yeah, so I guess it all depends on what your intention is um, as to kind of the the motivations that you're going into it with and what you're thinking about. But for us, it was making sure that we had shared values and that was if we'd have ended up as part of a group and they wanted to change everything about how we were doing things or whatever that just wouldn't it wouldn't have suited us so spending time with the team at lab and not just Johnny and the other directors but with the the team to see how they work so doing those kind of pitches together and doing a bit of client work together was really important because i think it's uh, we all know what something looks like on the outside can be different on the inside and um, so making sure that we were happy that the outward was the same as the inward and, and we were happy with it um was really important so i think just yeah that nothing nothing is more important than that chemistry side and and the fact that you are going to be sitting on a board with the, with these other directors so you need to get on with each other and you need to see that you're going to be able to agree with each other and obviously no one agrees on everything, but you're going to be able to work together because it's a big decision to to sell part of your agency or all of your agency. So, um, so yeah, I think it's it's just all around that kind of the human point of it, I'd say, is most important.
0: And you mentioned the benefits of being part of a larger group during the COVID-19 crisis. But were there any disadvantages to being part of an agency group versus when you were independent?
1: You know what? I don't think we've had any disadvantages. Um, I think it's just um, it's only been good stuff. I mean, it is just it's great when we can pitch together. So last week we um, we did a big group pitch, which. Fingers crossed for us, please, Rob. If it comes off, will be wonderful. And it's the kind of thing that if we'd been just on our own, I don't think we'd have been, had the opportunity. Also, because it needed the skill set that the lab team have got within .NET etc., which we don't have that language within our development team. So it's just that um, it's that bigger approach, but with the specialist agencies. So our message that we can go into. Uh, into businesses with is not well we're not just a master of everything in one agency but actually we've got specialist agencies within the group that are really focused on their discipline but we're amazing at working together and you'll feel like you're working with one agency but you're not you've got the specialists um leading the work so for us it's just been all positives um and i don't think there's been any disadvantages which is which is nice because because you never know and there was I'm not going to lie. Like even up until the day, you've got a tiny little niggly thing in your head. You're like, oh, is this definitely right? I just wish I had a crystal ball to be able to check um, what's going to happen in the future. But luckily for us, it 100% was right. and, And there's not been a moment of looking back.
0: I guess what makes it different as well is because it was quite a uh, small and new group as well versus if you sold to someone such as WPP. I I know a few agency founders that sold to WPP and it's a very different experience where it's basically their business is just acquiring agency after agency. And once they're acquired, they almost get sort of lost within this bigger group. And even though there is cross selling going on you're kind of just left in your own. You're given in like sort of a section of their big offices and just left to get on with it, really. So I think probably very different experiences there.
1: Yeah, very different. And, and I'd say like day-to-day at Reflect, it doesn't feel overly different to before we were part of Lab. Um It's more kind of some... Bigger benefits and the clients and that side of things that's changed, but day to day we're we're exactly the same agency we were before, which I think is really important for our team. And same as you, I, I know some people that have gone down the WPP route, and and that does start to change culture more and, and change everything. So yeah, I think it, it all depends what you're looking for, and um, I think it's it's always difficult because if you're looking at acquisition um, or being acquired you maybe don't want to talk to lots of people about it, but I think finding some people to talk to about it, that you're happy to kind of bring them in on, on what you're considering and, and start to get some opinions from different people. I think is really important because um, yeah, it's such a big decision. It's your baby at the end of the day that you're either fully selling or part selling, or it's uh, it's a very, very big decision.
0: And a few months ago, you announced that you partnered with uh, Free Partners, which is a specialist marketing consultancy for the insurance sector. In the past, many brands were paranoid about their agency working for one of their competitors, with some uh, clients even insisting on a non-compete agreement. Has the turn tied on this and uh, vertical-specific digital agency is going to be the future of our industry, or do you think that it's still about offering it to all sectors and having that diversity?
1: I think it really depends so free partners are amazing and really specialist in insurance and they really know their stuff and that works really well for them and especially because a big part of what they do is the communication side so really understanding the PR and how to how to kind of get underneath those big insurance complications that are going on, whether it's in service offerings or whether it's in um, how the businesses are run, et cetera. So they kind of of understand that because that's their background and that works really well for them. But actually they were looking for an agency that could really support on the digital marketing side. And for us, actually, it didn't matter that we didn't have – The insurance specific knowledge, because the bit that they do is where that's really important. But actually, on digital, it's more than being able to just go and do the research and understand the keyword search volumes, etc., etc. So, it's um, for me partnering with other agencies is a great thing, and I see us doing more and more of it. Um, We recently did a webinar all about migrations, and off the back of that, I think there's a potential couple of agencies that we might end up partnering with to help them on the SEO side of a website migration. And I think it's just making sure that there's some kind of partnership agreement in place and that it's clear and that you're really super open. I think for us, it's helped because of the way we've worked with Lab and got used to collaborating with another agency. Uh, so we've got some of those skills already but I think it's just that complete transparency and open and honesty Um, I know with free partners we've got a couple of clients we're working with jointly on and it's just always remembering but hold on this is a joint free partners client so if the client suddenly says to you could you help us with this and you're like oh yeah I could help you with that it's remembering oh no actually that's more free that should be doing that and and being really transparent because that's uh that's the important part of the relationship. It's um, especially if it's their client initially. You just you're there to do what you need to do, and then everything else you kind of help grow that within free partners as well. Is uh, is how you build a long term partnership. It's um, it's got to be good for both sides, really.
0: And um, what does the future hold for Reflect Digital?
1: Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Well, 10th birthday, the beginning of next year. So there should have been a massive party. Um, That will happen at some point. I don't know when. Um, but yeah, it's just that continued growth and that real specialism in looking at the human behaviour side of of search. And we're talking more and more within the agency at the moment around the kind of the connected journey and how we really understand which which area of uh, search we should be using at what time so looking at really making sure we're driving users in the right channel and then we're connecting the dots up so that if we're if we're driving people at that awareness stage via SEO, that we're really considering kind of email and remarketing, etc., to drive them further down the pathway and get them towards the conversion path and really trying to tie that all together and understanding the kind of the intent that sits at each each stage and how to how to nurture that best. So I think that's um that's a real specialism for us going forward and something that we'll get better and better at with working closer with the the other lab agencies and the behavioral science team that sit within Verge I think for me that's super super exciting and and yeah it's just continued growth and trying to create somewhere that that people love to work and want to continue working for a long time and and do good work for our clients
0: And do you plan on staying on as the CEO of Reflect Digital or maybe moving into a role where you're overseeing all of the agencies within the lab group or potentially uh, some other career path?
1: No, I think they're stuck with me for a long while at Reflect. Yeah, no, very much, uh, very much on a mission within uh, within Reflect Digital. Obviously, I do sit on the group board, so I'm there to support the other group agencies as well where possible and and to help um, nurture the team wherever I can. But yeah, my, my main focus uh, is and will be in Reflect for, well, definitely for the foreseeable.
0: And what do you think will be your agency's biggest challenge over the next three years?
1: Oh, I'd say one of the biggest challenges with a growing agency is finding the right people. Um, so I think that's always a challenge. So we kind of have an always on recruitment strategy and we're always looking for talented people. But we're widening our our mindset on this, especially in light of this year and how everyone's worked remotely. So we've got our first SEO director joining um who's going to be based in Spain. Uh, so she starts in January. So that's really exciting. So actually, I think one of our ways to tackle this as a challenge is to maybe think less locally and think less about or how often can they be in the office, but think more about the right skill set and making sure that we've got the best people we possibly can, because that's, that's where our growth is going to it's going to really skyrocket is continuing to grow the team with some amazing people like we've got now and um, but they're not always not always the easiest to find um,
0: and if you could give a new agency founder one piece of advice what would it be
1: oh i think it would be surrounding yourself with good people i think um when I started Reflect, the kind of the different agency groups that are out there now for founders and uh, and senior leaders within agencies, there weren't so many of them, but there's a ton of really amazing groups out there now where agency owners are so open and they share and they support each other. And I think probably about five years into our journey, we started to work more and more with talking to other agency owners, joining some of these groups and... I just think it was transformational because you suddenly realize, oh, it's not just me that's struggling with this, or it's not just our agency that has this problem. And you start to realize that those problems are much easier solved when you, you can chat about it with others that have been through it before, etc. And and on things like this, podcasts like this, hopefully there might have been some bits that people will take away from today and go, well, that's useful. And yeah, for me, it's just not thinking you know it all and you're just you're, – you'll get through each battle on your own. It's like, well, actually, who out there has done this before? How can I make friends with them? How can I get support? And maybe considering a non-exec director or someone like that to sit within your agency to help guide you because it's not easy. And, and when you look at the stats, the majority of agencies stay as really small agencies, because it's it is blooming hard even to do that, let alone to grow it. It's a really competitive world. And there's so many of us out there. So if you've got big ambitions, you just, you need to get the right support around you to, to help make those come to life. Because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun journey, but it's not the easiest.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> um, as you said, I think, The first generation of digital marketing agencies were very protective of their client base and of their expertise. And they didn't really want to share any information or work with other agencies. Whereas I think like sort of the newer generation of agencies is almost the opposite. They're sharing as much information as they can. They're trying to partner with as many different people as possible and really build their network. So I think there's there's a big difference there. And I think some of the older agencies that haven't managed to grow to a certain size of being acquired may actually start to struggle if they don't turn around and start to be more open to people and sharing their ideas and working with other people.
1: I agree. I really do. I think I'm um yeah we're just we're stronger together like there's enough work out there for all the agencies but if you just help each other a little bit and support each other and and grow that network around you of being able to refer work that doesn't suit you etc and I suppose just as one other piece of advice that that's that's made me think of is staying true to what you're best at and I think um, many agencies and we definitely were one of them in those early years you kind of you you're desperate almost to see your revenue growing and to make sure you're covering your costs and you're building up some some cash reserves. So you kind of, you go for everything, even though probably if you really dug deep, you'd go, do you know, that's probably not for us, that project, that's going to be a real stretch. We shouldn't, or we won't be able to deliver that. And and lo and behold you can't deliver it and it goes a bit wrong and it's a nightmare and you wish you'd never done it and it's just trying to listen to your gut instincts and really staying true to to what you know you're best at and that you're going to be able to deliver some amazing work with.
0: Becky Sims thank you so much for joining us on Agency Side.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Agency Side sponsored by netriller.com Visit agencyside.fm to subscribe, read the show notes, and listen to previous recordings. Tune in again soon for our next episode.